Welcome to the Happy Menopause podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Now that November is here, the cold and flu season is well underway and many of you have probably already succumbed to some sort of lurky by now. And of course, the spectre of COVID-19 is still lurking. So supporting our immune system is very much on the agenda right now which is why I've dedicated this episode to foods that can keep you and your family fighting fit. And I've got the perfect guest for this. But first, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Emmapel, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. Many women notice that their skin becomes drier, less firm or more wrinkly as they transition through the menopause. And this is due to the decline in estrogen, which affects collagen levels. So here's where Emmapel can help with revolutionary skincare products that target the root cause of menopausal skin aging by encouraging the skin to act as if the estrogen was still there. The technology awakens the skin's messaging system so that the cells work more effectively and behave like younger skin cells. Emmapel's gorgeous serum and night cream are also packed with skin-friendly ingredients to make a tangible difference to the health and appearance of your skin. Believe me, a little Emmapel goes a long way. You can get 20% off if you use the promotional code HAPPY20 at emmapel, E-M-E-P-E-L-L-E dot co dot UK. And so on to today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome herbalist Ed Joy back to the podcast. He's a specialist in herbal medicine with over 20 years experience and he weaves a combination of homeopathy, naturopathy and nutrition into his work, taking a truly holistic approach. My interview with him on a herbal approach to the menopause was one of the big hits of season one. And in this episode, I'll be tapping into his expertise on the different foods that can help our immune system be more robust, because we all need a bit of that right now. Ed shares his top three everyday foods for immune support and gives us the inside track on not just what we should eat, but how we should cook it so that we can maximise the vitamin, mineral and antioxidant content of our food. There are so many culinary tips and tricks that I guarantee you'll be fascinated by what he has to say. So let's get going. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Ed. Hello, Jackie. Nice to be here. Well, I'm thrilled that you're back because regular listeners will, of course, remember your interview on a herbal approach to the menopause back in season one. So I'm not going to ask you for the full background story about you, as I usually do, because, of course, we've done that. Yes. But I would recommend anyone who missed that episode to go straight back and have a listen because it's an absolute goodie packed with some really useful information. But today, of course, we're going to look at herbs and food from a different angle because with cold and flu season well underway... And of course, not to mention the the ongoing risk of COVID-19, I want to talk to you about the culinary steps we can take to be as resilient as possible. So let's get straight to it, Ed. What are your top three everyday foods that every immune conscious cook should have in their kitchen? 
Okay, I th- I think this is quite a simple answer, really, because I I'd like to think a bit of what pretty much everybody would have in their kitchen. So the three herbs I'm going to choose are garlic, perhaps our strongest natural anti-infective, ginger, and that can be dry ginger or fresh ginger. They do differ, which we can go into a bit later. And and then the th- third would be any mint herb. But my herb of choice in this context would be thyme. Uh, garden time. So when you say a mint herb, what's a mint herb? Well, the mints are a, a, a massive family of herbs called the Lamiaceae. And they include herbs like rosemary, they include thyme, they include sage, lemon balm, and of course, mint, oregano, marjoram. They're all part of the same family. And And, and, and when I say keep the mint herbs in your kitchen. I say that because the mint herbs share many of their constituents, their active chemicals across the family. So whereas thyme is perhaps the most useful herb as far as the the breathing pathways and that sort of thing, maintaining good order in the ear, nose and throat canals, alongside those active principles you'll have things from rosemary and from sage things like thymol or rosmarinic acid or the phenol that you would typically find in both sage and thyme so all of them are useful but i think particularly for maintaining good health and the immune system this time of year thinking about the sort of infections that we're quite vulnerable to then Time is my herb of choice. Okay, so that's that would be good then for issues around the upper respiratory tract, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. And it has a long history of use for children with respiratory problems, bronchitis, and all of those sort of things. But also any local infective problem that you might have in the throat or in, in, in the lungs. Very, very useful herb. Whilst also it supports the, the terrain of that environment as well. It helps to support the tissue of that environment and maintain that in good order. Because when it comes to infection this time of year, whether that's viral infection or bacterial infection, the place that we're most vulnerable is the terrain. It's not just the germ that we always talk about. It's, it, it goes back to the how vulnerable our, our tissue is, how vulnerable our mucous membrane is. And of course, that's where the microbiome comes in as well. Ah, oh, well, we'll be coming on to that later, I'm sure. Mm. Time sounds like an all-round winner, but how should we cook with it? And, and does it make a difference whether it's fresh or dried? I think I I think thyme is useful both fresh and dried. It's good to have some stored in the kitchen. And I, I recommend that people pick it throughout the summer and that they dry it in the in the darker, drier areas of their kitchen cupboards, that sort of place. Um, you know, hang it up away from any other moisture. And, and then you can just pick at it throughout the year. And it's always, always accessible to you. You can, of course, just buy some thyme from the supermarket, buy some some dried thyme herb. Mm. Actually, dried thyme is a, is a great herb, and it's it it's a great herb functionally and taste wise as well. There's very few meals that wouldn't be improved by it. So, I would recommend people just just pick up some nice organic thyme dried from the supermarket, and that can become part of many a meal. The mint herbs, thyme especially, rosemary, oregano, one of their characteristics is that 
a lot of their properties, a lot of the phytochemicals that are so useful to us, us actually become intensified as they as they are dried. They're actually they're actually more likely to infuse in a more balanced way once the herb is dried. So it's it's it, it's you're not making a huge sacrifice by by having a a box of thyme rather than some fresh sprigs of thyme in the kitchen. Oh, well, that's very useful to know. Now, the other one, in fact, the first one you mentioned was garlic. And I've I've known for a long time that you're a big fan of garlic. So yes. tell us why and how it can support our immune health. One of the herbs we can look at to really help us in, in, in difficult times and the herbs that we can really draw from is garlic because it's something we all have access to for a start. But it's it's also a herb that relates very well to our physiology and especially to our immune system. Garlic is a herb that contains a wide array of of sulf- sulfurous phytochemicals, and and particular in particular the one that we often associate as being part of the health benefits of garlic is allicin, and that's also known as hydrogen sulfide would be its chemical name. And hydrogen sulfide is a a chemical that as it's produced when we crush the garlic, it's something that helps us to take on a group of minerals, but particularly zinc. Now, I'm not sure, and I think globally there's there's no certainty as to whether the immune-enhancing effects of garlic are caused by this ability for us to take on more zinc, or if there is a, a wider action that, that, that the garlic is having on us. For one thing, we know that zinc is very useful both for the innate and the adaptive immune system, the two, the two sides of our immune system that help us to fight, fight any level of pathogenic activity. But further to that, we could expect to find from garlic a level of stimulation in certain aspects of the immune system and also many of our responses, our our quick responses to the immune system. Okay. And my understanding is that that garlic is both antibacterial and antiviral. Is that right? That would be right. I think one of the ways that uh, garlic works against pathogens is that it's it's bacteriostatic. So it won't attack an organism until it becomes pathogenic, until it has the potential to do us any harm or or looks to stake a claim for itself throughout our system. It's at that point that garlic becomes that valuable anti-infective. Garlic can can actually switch them off. It will stop them in their tracks. And that's that's why really it's it's such a valuable instrument in supporting our immune system because it's taking so much of the burden Mm. away from it. Right. And how often should we be eating garlic to get that, that benefit? I think frequency is the key to, uh, to, to the immune enhancing effects of just about anything. I think one of, the, one of the mistakes that people make in trying to, whether they're trying to boost the immune system or any other system, is to megadose or, 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 or absolutely go for it. I, I think yes. that once... Once we start doing that, particularly with a herb like garlic, then we're going to find negative consequences as well. You know, garlic doesn't digest that well with with everybody if they eat too much of it. And I think learning 
learning to cook with garlic, learning, learning how garlic is best infused as a flavor into our foods is actually the way that we can find it's most supportive for our immune system. Because at that point, the garlic is when when it's tasting absolutely at its best, we're going to find that the the properties in the garlic are at their optimal point for supporting our health and nutrition, and 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 that's what we really want. It's it's something that you find time and time again with food and nutrition. When it suits our palate the best, it also happens to be the point that it's going to have the most nutritional benefit as well so i think that's one of the beauties of garlic is when it tastes best it's going to do us the most good so how should we be cooking it then i think the french cook very well with garlic i think the italians cook very well with garlic i think uh uh, you know the the way that it is crushed rather than chopped is very important to its activity well that crushing process ensures that the active ingredients are activated in the right way. The the active properties inside garlic, allicin particularly, aren't present in the garlic clove. It's not until we press the garlic clove and those chemicals, particularly the, the enzyme and alinase interacting with the phytochemical alicea, is synthesizes allicin. And, and so, so crushing it is the first first way of of getting it to activate. We want to cook it quite gently because otherwise we're going to lose those valuable properties. Garlic is very sensitive to heat; it burns very quickly. So frying it, shallow frying it particularly, can cause it quite a lot of damage. You want to buffer it with other foods, and it needs a lot of oil or a lot of fat to to be infused into and that's that's when garlic really comes into its own so that's garlic and it sounds pretty amazing the third (laughs) thing you mentioned was ginger talk us through ginger i i think ginger is perhaps has if anything become a little underrated in the west more recently as a result of uh, of other herbs being thought of as as really important we've actually used ginger in the west as a as a flavoring for about two and a half thousand years but throughout that time and going back uh between five and seven thousand years in china it's been used for a whole host of different uh, different health benefits, but amongst those, the immune system it is particularly uh, beneficial. Um, it 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 helps the immune system in a number of ways. Uh, particularly, it helps to break down materials that could otherwise not do us any good. So, whereas garlic has a reputation for perhaps switching off potential pathogens. One of the ways that ginger can help us is it prevents those potential not-so-do-gooders from actually feeding, and it helps to pull them apart, um, which is very supportive to to the immune system. Uh, Ginger is also very very good for the blood it helps uh the the it helps to support the integrity of our blood um so um and 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 that also helps to support the wider immune system to function in the the free movement and motility of our cells so a really a really really useful herb that uh should should not be underrated Mm. um sounds like a good all-rounder 
It it definitely is, and and in China, it's often said that we should we should eat a finger of ginger a day, which oh. I think is 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 a lovely way to think of it. That um, you know, ginger obviously is a herb that uh, has because of the nature of the root and how the loop, the root looks that you can simply break off a finger of ginger from either your dried or 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 fresh ginger root and and you should look to integrate yeah. that into your food every day and I, I i do think that is a very useful full approach to take mm. one of the things that people commonly do is add ginger to hot water would oh. that affect uh the the compounds at all or would that be still a good way of getting your ginger Absolutely not. I mean, ginger ginger contains a very important enzyme that is is of great great benefit to us. Singerone is is its name, and uh, digestively, that's one of the places that, that that ginger really supports us. It helps to pull proteins apart and starches and things like that, which is often why we associate associate ginger as being so good for the digestion. But it's an incredibly stable enzyme, and particularly if right. if we were to heat up dried ginger, particularly the zingarone is 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 surprisingly stable, unlike many other enzymes, and actually actually does quite well. So it, I don't think that's something we need to worry about. There's also there are many many okay, uh, constituents great. that make up ginger, which really take that activity forward. Great. Okay, so well, that's fantastic. So we've got garlic, we've got ginger, we've got thyme. I want to talk about broccoli next. When mm. I was training, we used to joke that uh, if you didn't know the answer to an exam, that you should just put broccoli because it would probably be right. Um, <laughs> yes. Because it's such a complete powerhouse in, in so many ways. <laughs> yes, but yes. what makes it so important for our immune health? Well, I, there's a number of things. For, for one thing, as you say, nutritionally, Broccoli is in itself a complete powerhouse. It contains huge amounts of vitamin C. It also contains quite a lot of vitamin K. Botanically, also, you'll find some botanical forms of vitamin D in there. Vitamin D2 you'll find in broccoli. So all, a lot of the nutrients that we associate with, with immune health, broccoli contains them. It's a brassica as well. Yeah. It's part of the, the mustard family. And like all, all vegetables from that family, it has an extremely high mineral content containing calcium and magnesium, of course, but also high levels of potassium and many of the trace minerals that you don't find so much in other vegetables because all of the brassicas root quite deep, quite aggressively into the permasoil. So they, they'll be, those micro roots will be rooting down as deep as 100 to 120 feet. And that draws up an awful lot of good nutrition. But I think the place where broccoli really stands up for itself is in its sulfurous compounds. There we are with sulfur once again. Yeah. But in, in the case of broccoli, we're talking about sulforaphane. And here's a chemical that can modulate antioxidant activity throughout the body. I think particularly in, in really supporting people who have a very diminished immune system, people who have been suffering perhaps with low level viral activity or uh, long-term fatigue, that sort of thing, which which indicates uh, autoimmune dysfunction, then 
the the sulforaphane that we find in in vegetables like broccoli but particularly broccoli is 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 really powerful that's really useful to know and i suppose picking up on what you said earlier it's all about having broccoli regularly in your diet to build up your your overall immune strength rather than just sort of powering into large amounts of it and then leaving it for ages Absolutely. I think I think there is a danger when people get carried away with with one aspect of nutrition. You know, nutrition is not a science of taking one thing to make us all all feel better. It it doesn't work like that. Uh, Our our nutrition is made up of many different Mm. aspects. And we we rely from 500 at least 500 different plant groups to make up our nutrition profile to to support us it's it's well known that we don't we don't get that in the modern diet Mm. we don't have any physiological experience or capacity to cope with just just juicing 10 tons of broccoli a week it it, it really it really isn't going to do us as much good as i think people might might think it would so broccoli brilliant you know, it is going to do us a lot of good, but I don't think it should just be about broccoli. <laughs> exactly right. Yes. So it's about that broad range constantly in your diet that will build up that immune strength. Now, you touched on vitamin C when you talked about broccoli. And mm. most people, I think, are aware that it's really crucial for a healthy immune system. So first of all, what tips have you got for ensuring that we get plenty in our diet? And of course, knowing that it's water soluble, we need to be careful about the way we cook it as well. So what can you tell us there? We need quite a lot of vitamin C in our diet, as, as I'm sure we all know. And, and I think the the modern diet, which often features quite a lot of highly processed foods, really diminishes the amount of vitamin C that, that we get. I think it's been well observed over the, the past couple of years with, with the events of COVID that how badly people have done with the virus who have had poor vitamin C status and how much better people have done when their, their vitamin, sta- vitamin C status has been in good order but again vitamin c is is a nutrient that we we take on quite readily we uh, and we take it on readily from our diet yes. and in the places we can get it in our diet we will take it on so a diet that has a rich variety of fruits and vegetables that are not overcooked is is really the way to to, to get plenty of vitamin c Vitamin C does okay with cooking. Not overcooked, you, know, you said. But yeah, not not overcooking is 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 absolutely fundamental to getting getting a good good amount of vitamin C. So, what's the best way of cooking our vegetables? I think different vegetables need to be cooked in different ways. But I think you know, if 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 we think about broccoli, for instance, here's a, a vegetable that does very well when it's steamed because it softens the outer membrane of the uh, the broccoli whilst keeping it quite fibrous and, and 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 I think if there is a little bit of crunch in the vegetable that that we're eating then then we're going to find there's plenty of vitamin C in there we're not we're not going to destroy it by steaming it as you cook things the more you cook them the more the vitamin C will diminish but that's that that isn't to say that we need to eat raw vegetables because what often happens when we cook our vegetables is a lot of the nutrients inside there 
actually become more bioavailable. So although often you will find lower levels of those nutrients, their elevated bioavailability makes them more useful to us. So a little bit of cooking, steaming is good. If you're you're boiling something, perhaps blanching rather than, than boiling for long periods of time is the way to do it. But provided there's a good color constitution to the food that you're eating, provided there's a good uh, there's a good crunch to the uh, to the vegetables you're eating, then the nutrients and the vitamin C included uh, are are going to be present. And it's uh, it's the frequency that you're looking for, mm. not the not the mega dose of vitamin C in a single right. serving of food. So, what are your thoughts on uh, frozen or tinned veg for for the cook who's either busy, budget conscious, or just you know short of time generally? Mm, I think freezing is a is is a great way to to uh, to get good good food throughout the year. I think you know I think we we're quite hard on ourselves with our modern approaches to uh, to to our diet these days. Yes. Quite 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 rightly to an extent. But I I think freezing is 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 a great thing because I'm I'm a keen gardener as you probably know, and uh, we've we've got uh, quite a few plum trees in our garden. And it isn't physically possible for us to consume the amount of plums that we grow. But freezing, freezing a number of them means that we can get those plums and we can get the, the things that are in those plums throughout the year. And um, I, I'm, I'm a great fan of uh, storing things for longer periods of time. Other ways of preserving are not so great because the, the, the level of processing that is needed does does diminish a lot of the nutrient yes. value. So tinning, I think, is perhaps the most destructive. Of the, the ways of preserving foods that are really good, I think fermenting foods, as, as is becoming more normal here, but is very normal in Northern Europe, is, is a really great way to, to, to get the best of both worlds. Well, that brings me very neatly to my next question, because I think not everyone realises the key role that our gut microbiome plays in immune health. And of course, fermented foods can be a key player there. So can you tell us what's going on and why it's so important? Well, I think one of the mistakes that people make too often with food fermentation is its use as a probiotic. There are plenty of organisms that are in fermented foods, but I think that's not really the thing that is so great about them. I think the thing that is great about fermented foods is the nutrition. Take some sauerkraut, for instance. What you will find in some sauerkraut is that gram for gram, there is more vitamin C in that fermented cabbage than the original, perhaps white cabbage that you started with. And that's because a lot of the chemical reactions that take place when that cabbage is fermented ensure that the the materials in there are producing more vitamin C. And that's something that, that can do us no end of good. As far as food preservation is concerned, fer- fermentation is, is, is a wonderful way of getting even better nutrition throughout the months when things perhaps aren't growing. Okay, so talk to us about the gut microbiome and its role in the immune system. I think a lot of people say that, you know, most of the immune system exists inside of the gut microbiome. And I think, I think that, there, that, that there's a degree of truth to that. But I think 
what 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 is what is for sure is that before anything else uh before we ingest anything before we absorb anything before anything becomes systemic or part of our body it has to first interact with the gut microbiome and that the integrity of that first um can very often um, indicate our state of health. So if we have a good gut barrier, a good microbiome, where there's very diverse cultures of, uh, of lactic acid organisms, then we're, we're likely to be able to sustain good health and also to be able to sustain good nutrition. So I think that it, nowhere could it be more important and a particular uh, a particular instance is what's known as the homeostatic balance. So the way that we interact with our external world to ensure good health in our internal world. If you if you think of perhaps you know somebody living in a bubble, a completely sterile environment, they they might be very healthy within that environment, but as soon as they come out of it. They don't have any state of health at all because they haven't had any experience of interacting with um, with the plethora of organisms that exist in the world around us. Now, the gut microbiome is a is perhaps a, a, a taster of what actually exists in the external world. So, by having a diverse community or ecology of organisms in in our gut. We're constantly interacting with that bioactivity, and that interaction is part of the things, part one of the things that keeps us healthy, and one of the things that keeps us alive. That's fascinating. So, what are the best ways then to make sure that that gut microbiome sort of really retain that that level of different species that you need, that broad variety that you mentioned? Hmm. Well, I think one of the things that is quite common now is that people take a lot of antimicrobials and they maybe they maybe people take a lot of antibiotics. Um, and so and, and those things really can cause disruption in 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 the, the working course of the, the microbiome. So pr- trying to preserve the integrity of that is really important. We can take good probiotics for one thing, but another thing we can do is is use foods that really promote the integrity of of that that uh, the, that microbiome. And one such food is is uh, is the fibres that we find in fruits and vegetables. Apples contain quite high levels of pectin, and that pectin is a fabulous food for the organisms that live. In our microbiome, um, often we we eat apple, apples because they're sweet. But actually, often the cooking apples that we can stew and make apple sauce with, or a, um, what the Germans call apple mousse, um, is a great nutritious food, not just for us but for our microbiome. And the same can be said of pears. Mm. Fascinating. We could talk all day about this stuff, but I'm really conscious of time. So before we wrap up, I first of all want to ask you where people can find you if they'd like to find out more about you and your work and and really any special projects that you might be working on or anything you'd like to flag up. 
Okay, well, as you'll know, my my work isn't so much with people as as it is with health food companies. My work is taking uh, plants, particularly, and and trying to prepare them in such a way as as either a supplements manufacturer or a health food manufacturer can can produce the, produce those things into a into a product or a, a working a working product. So and, and primarily I work with two companies. One of them is Bionutri Limited who make food supplements and a lot of the supplements they make contain herbs herbs interacting with probiotics and nutrients and amino acids and minerals. The other company I work with is a slightly more simplistic uh, approach, and that's that's a pure herbal company that makes herbal teas, and that's called Aquasol. Aquasol is more about the access to a wide variety of different herbs, but them being available to them being particularly bioavailable. So all the all the herbs in the aquasol range are ground down very fine so they 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 can interact in many of the ways that we've we've talked about today so that's that's my work if people are interested in in sort of catching up with with what i'm up to both in in the garden or in the allotment or in my various herb walks that i do up and down <laughs> the country with uh, practitioners i i keep an instagram page which is edjoyhealth which you'll be able to find me on. Excellent. So I'll be sure to put links to all of those in the show notes so that everybody can find you easily and find out more about Bionutri and Aquasol, which I have to say I would like to give a big shout out to. I'm a huge fan of both of those. So finally, before we wrap up, could you please give us your top two tips for people who want to support a healthy immune function as we go through this very tricky time? Okay. My top two tips, I think, reflect very much on what we've talked about already. So my first thing is to say, use the herbs that are in your kitchen. And if you can, use the bouquet garnet, that great French invention that is based on time bay leaves and parsley. All of them are fabulously powerful for maintaining our immune system and all of them make just about any meat, fish or vegetable dish taste delicious. My second tip is that if you're going to do anything to protect your immune system away from the kitchen, then I would look at vitamin C because it is it is a very simple yeah. nutrient that anybody can access and the way that it influences our immune system and our health is is extraordinary so a little bit of vitamin c every day whether you're getting it from a drink or a um a health food shop whatever you're doing you know 3 or 400 milligrams of vitamin c can have a profound effect on people's daily uh, health and their ability to stay healthy throughout the winter months. Yeah, I would absolutely endorse that. I'm a huge fan of vitamin C and I, I know that I myself respond very, very well to it. So it's something I, I keep very much front of mind. Ed, it's been fascinating to have you back. I knew it would be. And there's thank been you, some Jackie. really amazing tips here. So thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure. It's really nice to be back. I hope you found that useful. There's so much great advice there and I'm definitely going to be prioritising the garlic crusher, a daily finger of ginger and as much broccoli as I can eat. 
what changes are you going to make to your shopping list? If you'd like to find out more about Ed, the work that he does and his foraging walks, I've put all the relevant information and links on the show notes, which you'll find on the podcast page of my website, well-well-well.co.uk. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. And make sure you tell all your friends. It makes a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast and really helps to spread the word. Because every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.